Everybody praise the Lord. 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 Boy, if there's any place in the world where Jesus ought to be being praised, it's like in church, wouldn't you think? Right? That's great. That's important. I'm so happy that you're here this morning. I'm so excited to be able to share with you uh, or to continue this study in the book of Hebrews, such an a, a wonderfully rich portion of scripture that is going to give so much insight to the, uh, as I was saying, it kind of helps to transition between Old Testament and New Testament. It, it, it kind of, it keeps on hearkening back to the Old Testament to kind of pick up some gems along the way and important things that were kind of left there that were very meaningful, in some cases much more meaningful than anybody really knew until Jesus came on the scene. And then all of a sudden, here are all these passages of Scripture that make like a ton more sense because they, when they are applied or when they are interpreted in the light of the coming of Jesus. So that's kind of the, uh, the essence of what the book of Hebrews is all about. And we're going to dig into it. Which I don't know what's going to take us a while to get out of this first chapter because it is so jam-packed. I'd also like to just welcome to uh, church here this morning, Scott and Tanya and Brian. Scott... Would you, would you stand for one second? I know, I know it's terrible. I know it's awful to do this. But I, anybody who's been here for a while knows that Scott was our youth leader for, what, nearly 20 years? Yeah, right? And, uh, and blessed the church and led the church and, and poured into our young people and served the Lord here. And um, so anyway, welcome. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Tanya. Brian, Brian was, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, you know, when we last saw him, but he's, uh, he's shooting right up there. Okay, now, hey, I got all my stuff. Awesome! <laughs> That's great. I didn't just have that sinking moment, like, oh no, where's my little clicker? Here it is. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so Here's what we've been talking about, and we'll take a second bite at this apple here this week. The supremacy of the Son of God, and that's why we've got the little number two there. Um, last week we started in with this, and it really all, it all revolves around this opening portion of the book of Hebrews, chapter one. So, um, and, and I included the, uh, the, the text, which is this month, our memory text. So uh, why don't you stand together with me? And um, let's quote this together, read it together loud and enthusiastically with spirit as unto the Lord. May we do that? Loud and enthusiastically with spirit as unto the Lord. May we do that? Sure we can. All right, good. All right, so here we go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the bright... Oh, sorry, is that not up there? Ah, good. <laughs> who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has 
by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. We know that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, right? Jesus earned that name. He earned that name by being more humble than anyone who ever lived. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God also has given him a name that is above every other name. Because he was greater than everyone, and humbled himself beneath everyone to serve everyone, which is why we honor Jesus, and why, uh, and really is the heart of what the, uh, the, the author of the book of, book of Hebrews is uh, wanting to share with us. He wants to lift up Jesus, and so do I. Praise the Lord. Let's take a moment. Father God, thank you for everyone who's made their way here this morning. Thank you for getting us here safe and in one piece. Thank you, O Lord God, for the way you're working in our life. Thank you for revealing your plan to us. Thank you for revealing your son to us. Thank you for revealing your word to us. We're not walking in darkness. We're walking in light because we know who you are and what you're doing in this world, and that's what matters. And we can jump on board with that plan. We can be part of that great work. We can be part of your redemptive program. We can be part of the family that you're building. Hallelujah. And we are, in Jesus' name and for his sake. So Lord God, bless our time this morning. Pray that uh, we'll, we'll have hearts wide open, spirits wide open, ears wide open to be able to hear and to receive those things that your spirit wants to say to us personally and corporately so that we can just be more thoroughly prepared to be able to serve you and serve this world. We won't be here that long. Thank God. <laughs> we won't be here that long, but we can make a difference while we are here. So thank you, Lord God. Bless our time together. We pray now in Jesus' name. And everybody, all the good-looking people of God said, Amen. All right, there we go. You may be seated. All right. Just a little bit of a recap, a little bit of a background to this book, some of the stuff that we've already covered. We'll just kind of like wail through it quickly. Um, the date of this book is probably written before 70 A.D., probably sometime between 65 and 70 A.D. How would we know that? Well, there's a lot of stuff that's mentioned in this. So since this book is essentially about the Jewish faith, the Jewish religion, one, one of the things that he brings up has to do with the sacrifices and all the things that go on at the temple and the priesthood. All of this really was, was kind of surrounding and very much attached to the location of the temple in Jerusalem. Well, in 70 AD, along came Titus Vespasian. The Jews had revolted, so um, the Romans decided this is going to end now. And so they sent Titus Vespasian, and he went down and just wrecked Israel. And the final, the final aspect of his wrecking Israel is the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the temple, after 70 AD, the temple was never rebuilt. It's not rebuilt today. If you go to where the temple used to be, you'll see the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Um, so there is no temple there today. And that's a statement, that's a comment about um, Judaism having been set aside. That really is the plan. That's, if you read Romans 9, 9, 10, and 11, you'll find that God, for the moment, because the, the Jews rejected Christ, he came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. 
But to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to as many as have believed in his name. Aren't you glad about that? Right? So he came into his own and they, they just didn't, they didn't get it. So the Bible says that God has set Judaism on the side because that was his fundamental project from the time of Abraham, then Abraham's descendants, then becoming the Jewish nation through Moses and the, and, uh, and the exodus from Israel and then um, the, you know, finally getting them into the land of Canaan and establishing them as a people, 1,500 years of history through the Jewish people, but then finally the culmination happens, like, like the, the big event, Jesus shows up and he's rejected and he's crucified. And so on that basis, God set them aside, and, but I do believe that there will be a final chapter for the Jewish people. I don't know that I know exactly what it is or how it's gonna look, been through so many different eschatological points of view. Eschatology is the study of last things. And we've reviewed and still review. I like to, I like to think of myself as a learner, because yeah, there's a lot of things that I don't know. There's a lot of things we picked up along the way, hallelujah, but there's still a lot of things we did. But I think, I think there is a final chapter for the Jewish people because I know one thing about God, he is faithful to his promises. And he made promises to Abraham, and he's still being faithful to those promises to Abraham. So, so the date is uh, before, sometime before 70 AD, there's uh, references to sacrifices. The temple is probably still standing. Okay, the writer, is unknown. There's no salutation, there's no introduction. We just don't know. All kinds of people have been proposed, Paul, Barnabas, Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila, but nobody really knows. It's just, it's just an unknown. Um, it doesn't really matter, though, if we don't know who the writer is, because actually the writer of this book is God, right? Um, there, are, there are passages of Scripture I'll share with you which just define or identify the fact that God is the author of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 says this, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, do I understand that process? No. Do you understand that process? Probably not, this whole process of inspiration. But what the scripture is saying is that God was working somehow, somehow engaging with the mind and with the, even with the attitude, because when you read different books of the Bible, you can see the attitudes and kind of the temperament of some of the different authors kind of coming out through their writings. So God's somehow working together with this human nature of ours moved upon people, and they came up with this thing that they had written down, but in many cases, they didn't even know what they had written or, or, or how it was to be interpreted or how it was to be applied. And then we have 2 Timothy 3.16, which is all, all, scripture, is given by, uh, all scripture is given by God, which, which literally in the Greek says all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness that the person of God may be entirely prepared for every good work. So scripture says of itself that it is from God. And so God is behind all this and he's the ultimate author of scripture. And I didn't even put it up. There we go. Um, oh no, I did, okay. The, uh, the recipients were Hebrew Christians. 
Okay, these were Jewish believers. They were, they, according to what we read inside the letter to the Hebrews, they had heard the gospel from those that had heard Christ. They had heard the gospel probably from the um, apostles, and they had come to Christ. And now, and, and at, at this time in history, at receiving Christ means turning your back on the rest of your Jewish culture, and having your Jewish culture turn its back on you. And so that really is kind of a, a primary issue that's going on here, how these people are actually handling or not handling their newfound faith and the, the, and the inclination that they're feeling to turn back, to turn away from some of the pressure that they're feeling. So they, these, these believers have grown up all of their lives um, with, with Judaism. They, uh, the, the Jews have been practicing Judaism at this point for 1,500 years. Okay, that's how deep the roots are, to, that's how deep their Jewish roots are. And then all of a sudden, there's a conflict. All of a sudden, Jesus comes along. All of a sudden, there's a gospel being preached. All of a sudden, they're being told, um, or they're trying to figure out how to understand what's going on. Because all of their life, they've practiced one thing, and now Jesus comes along, and they're being told that, th that it is a time in their life to transition away from what they've known, which is basically the rudiments, the, f the fundamentals of the Jewish culture and religion, and I mean, it, it was all encompassing. It was all, it, every aspect of their life was tied into all of this, and now their world's being rocked because they're transitioning from law to grace. They're, they're transitioning from numerous uh, types of sacrifices to one sacrifice, the sacrifice. Actually says this um, book of Hebrews, the once for all, right? The once for all. We don't need any more sacrifices. The sacrifice of Jesus is, Jesus is so extraordinary. The, for him to offer his perfect life um, as a sacrifice, is such an incredible gift that he would give, and we know that it was accepted by God. How do we know that? Because God raised him from the dead. That was the proof positive that God had accepted that sacrifice and had put his seal of approval on what Jesus had done. Jesus is, has been proven Messiah by his resurrection from the dead. So now they're moving from numerous sacrifices to the sacrifice. They're, they're moving from the sacrifice of many lambs to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this um, pointed now to Christ who has now fulfilled all of these things that their religion, their culture, their faith, all of, all of those things that... that that their world was all about, now they are learning it's all been done, it's all been fulfilled. There's no need for all of that, all of the accoutrements, if you will, the rituals and sacrifices and priesthood and all this stuff that, that is their identity. They're being told it's passe, it's obsolete. So, um, so this is what's really happening to the people to whom this letter is being written. They are Hebrew Christians. Um, today we would call them Messianic Jews, Jews who are believers in Jesus. <clears throat> but there was a pressure on them, and it was very tempting for them to go back to their old traditions, back to their old habits, back to their old patterns of life. Now, I know that's never happened to any of you, right? But this is a normal enough thing, right? 
I mean, to walk with Jesus is to be challenged to the very core of your being, really. Right? If, we, if we are allowing Jesus to speak into the reality of our life, his goal will, to, will be to bring out the best in you. And he won't be satisfied with anything less. He'll keep on going. He will be, I, I, should, I should rephrase that. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay the way you are. He sees those things in our life that need correction. A big part of this book is gonna be, my son, do not get weary when you are disciplined by the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son that he receives. Okay, so it doesn't sound like it's gonna be a fun thing, okay, but it's going to be a fruitful thing. It's gonna be a productive thing. So that's really, if it, when we're walking, really walking with Jesus, open to the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit, he's challenging us, and oftentimes, there's a real temptation to go like, ah, oh, I'm tired, I had enough, right? Amen? amen. Really? How about anybody, uh, amen on this side? Amen. All right, good, good. Just wanna make sure you're, you're awake out there. Okay, so, um, so everything that they have known, everything that they have believed, everything that they've been taught about God is under assault in their world because, it, that, because their, their world now has been remade by the appearing of Jesus Christ and fulfilled by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And to top all of that off, they are experiencing a variety of levels of persecution. Since they have been part of the Jewish community, probably their work, their job, their buying and selling, everything is all tied in with fellow Jews. But now, they've taken a whole new tack. They have opened their hearts to Christ. They have, become, they have become professing Christians, and the rest of the Jewish community is not happy about that. And, and there, so there are a number of spots in the book where, where they talk about um, standing firm. It's really a big theme in this entire book. So, this is the purpose of the book. The purpose is to exhort and encourage believers to remain diligent in their faith and not to become spiritually lazy or fall back into, and they just put obsolete of their, because Judaism at this, Christ Jesus has made Judaism obsolete. There is no more need for sacrifices. There is no more need for a priesthood. We have a high priest. And that's exactly the heart of what the book of Hebrews is written to, to um, to tell us um, to exalt Jesus, the supremacy of Christ, and to show us that Jesus has now made um, other things unnecessary and obsolete. Okay, now uh, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, and it kind of makes the statement. He says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Spiritual sluggishness is not a good thing. Spiritual laziness is not a good thing. Spiritual indifference is not a good thing. We are encouraged to be zealous. We should, we, we should be as zealous for Christ as he was zealous for us. Fair enough? Right? The one who gave everything for me, should I give him something less than all of myself back to him? Of course not. And there are throughout the book a, a variety of exhortations. Let me uh, lead you through some of them. Okay, first one is found in chapter two, verse one. It says, 
pay more careful attention. Let us pay more careful attention to the things that we have heard, lest we let them drift or let them slip away. That's the same, that's the next one in, ch- in chapter two, verse one. Do not let those things drift away. Chapter three in verse six, hold fast to your confidence and hope to the end. A, a big theme in this book is gonna be persevere. Don't give up, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Don't get tired. Don't get worn out. Get revived. Get encouraged. Get strengthened because your effort, your faith, everything that you you do for the Lord is going to come up fruitful and blessed. Do you know that? It's unfortunate that we just, well, that's my experience. That's my experience, okay? From the time that that we got saved, which was April the 28th, 1978, not, it, it did not make sense to me to do anything else in this world but be part of the kingdom picture, whatever that might be. I never wanted to be a pastor. How about that? God might throw you a little bit of a curveball. I never wanted to be a teacher. I was a teacher for eight years. So God will open doors. Okay, I, it's because God saw certain abilities that I didn't really know that I had or you know, wasn't interested in discovering. As a young man, I was as interested in being a, a rock and I just wanted to rock and roll all night and party every day. That's, that was the former pastor, Steve, right? Until Jesus got a hold of my life. But then throughout the years, the Lord opened up different doors, teaching school, being a, a, a Christian school principal, coming out here, starting a church, being a pastor for 35 years. I, I can just tell you one thing. You won't be bored. Honest. You won't be bored with your life. Am I right, Scott? Amen. You will not be bored. And so, so the important thing, and again, I, I realize that what I'm, I'm saying to some will be kind of a mystery. Like, gee, I wish I could just find that will of God and get in the zone and get in the groove and really feel like I'm, well, it all starts with just a simple desire. That's how it all starts. And it, do, it isn't perfected by something that you or I do anyway. It's not a matter of Things, deeds that we do, it is a matter of following a track that is, that, that is following the voice of the shepherd that is leading us to places where we can fruitfully serve his kingdom purpose. That's about it. So in any way that you can jump on board, do it. Do it. You will find yourself blessed. Yes. Indeed. Where are we here? Okay. We've got 312. Beware. Beware departing from the living God. Um, 414, let us hold fast, fast to the faith we profess. 61, let us go on to maturity. 1035, do not throw away your confidence. 1039, do not shrink back. 12-1, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And I, I put in there what he's talking about. You know, you don't really run races with patience. Those two things are kind of antithetical, aren't they? If you're running a race with patience, you're probably going to lose, right? But what you're running with, you run a race with perseverance, with a dogged perseverance. I'm going for it. I'm going I'm to complete this course. I'm going to get it done, right? And he's, he's, he's encouraging that kind of an attitude, a dogged perseverance to, to fulfill the thing that God has allowed you to get yourself into, right? That kind of a persevering attitude, that, that, that last 
12.1, let us run with patience the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yes, he says, consider him, lest you become weary and discouraged in your mind. Right? So all these things, one morning after another, excuse me, to address the fact that we have a tendency sometimes to just get a little spiritually lazy. So he's using strong language to encourage us forward in our faith. Here's some key words in this uh, epistle. Three that we'll take a look at. First one is the word better. The word better comes up in this letter 11 times, okay? The, the word superior comes up in this letter four times. The word greater comes up in this letter seven times. So what the writer is wanting to establish is the fact that all of the former things that they were aware of were now all pointing to Jesus. They weren't done away with. They were now pointing in a new direction. And so they had to kind of get reoriented to the things that they had learned and realized that they were now being, they, they had been fulfilled. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater than whatever they had known up to now. That didn't mean that what they had then was not good. It was good. But Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. So the writer of Hebrews is constantly comparing Jesus to former Old Testament people and Old Testament things, and the lesson is that they and we ourselves should never settle for anything less than God's best for our life. Amen. Okay? Or, nor should we ever go, should we ever get under the attitude that, well, let me just go back to what was comfortable and easy. Because that's, that's kind of what's driving the whole thing. They, they realize that if they pull back from their allegiance to Jesus and get back in and get back to the Jewish community and say, all right, listen, everybody, you know, I, I was overplaying that Jesus thing. I'm back. We're back in the game here, right? They're, the pressures are going to lessen on them. And this book is being written that we should never go back or become comfortable or long for what used to be comfortable or what used to be good enough. So he's saying that Christ is better. He's not saying anything else was bad. He's just saying Christ is better. Sometimes we settle for what is good, but you've probably heard that expression, the good is ever the enemy of the best. Anybody heard that one before? The good is ever the enemy of the best. And so it's important uh, for them to, um, to, to press on. Like Paul says, right? This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on to the high calling of Christ Jesus, right? And he says, let everybody who, who has now come into maturity in their faith think that way. Keep on pressing. Keep on going. There's more. God's gotten more for you. So the writer of the Hebrews constantly affirms Jesus is better, superior, greater than everything they knew before. Here's a, here's a list of things that Jesus is better than. Jesus is better than the prophets. We learned that in chapter 1. Jesus is better than, than the angels, chapter 1 and 2. Jesus is better than Moses. Now, that would just be a startling claim to have made in the first century, to tell a person who has grown up in Judaism all their life, whose entire culture, who's never heard anything except how incredible Moses is, and Moses was. 
an incredible human being, in, used incredibly by God, but then to learn Jesus, is, Jesus has played the trump card. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Ah, Joshua's the guy that led them into the promised land, right? Moses was the one that took them out of the land of Egypt. Joshua led them into the promised land. But the point that he really wants to make is Joshua was just a type. He was just a shadow. Through him, you could see what God had in mind if you had eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And then when Jesus finally does come, realize that Jesus' name is Joshua too. We call him Jesus. That's just a Greek transliteration. Yahashua is probably the closest thing, right? So Jesus is Joshua. Joshua was the one. Of course, Moses couldn't bring the people uh, into the land of promise. And so um, God took him out before that 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 final chapter of bringing them into the land, but, but uh, Joshua was the one who led them over the Jordan into the land of promise, established them as a people. What a great man, great job, incredibly hard assignment. And taking all these people who 40 years ago were all slaves and bring them in and organize them and get them a government, divide them into territories, wow, must have been, must have been fun, right? Must have been, must have been wild. But a great man, but Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the high priest. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Jesus is better than the law and the sacrifices. So the simple thing is that he's just, gonna, he's just going to dismantle. Lovingly, but honestly, he's going to dismantle the religion of the Jews so that he can put it back together and it can be built on Jesus Christ. That's really the deal. Anything that is not grounded and founded and established and stayed, solidly stayed on Jesus Christ will ultimately be set up with a dustbin of history. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done here for Jesus will last. Amen. So the Jews had a lot of pride about all of these things. They, they knew these stories, but the writer of Hebrews is going to dismantle all this thing in a loving way and when he says that, uh, as I said before, um, when he, he says Jesus is better, he doesn't mean that any of the rest of it was bad. Um, all the prophets, the angels, the Moses, Joshua, the high, these were all wonderful things that God did, but they had a shelf life. They ran out of time. Those things had, had, used, had completed their, their necessary course of action. They were no longer helpful. It's kind of like, let's say, vanilla is good, Right? If you had some vanilla ice cream, you say, ah, vanilla ice cream is good. But come on, chunky monkey? <laughs> huh? Is there any, is there any, what would we say? One is better than the other, right? The one is not bad. I wouldn't say that vanilla is bad, but chunky monkey. Cherry, cherry Garcia, right? Or I, I really hate the Ben and Jerry politics, so I don't want to give them too much you know, don't want to give them too much air up here this morning. But they make some good ice cream, you got to admit. Anyway, so he starts in chapter 1 by saying that Jesus is superior to those prophets that came before him. Let's throw up that passage of Scripture. Jesus is better than the prophets and the angels. Well, how did we get there? Oh, because he is. Oh, I missed something along the line. Uh, oh, well, I'll just read it. This is the, uh, the starting point. God, who at various times and in various ways has spoken in times past to the fathers 
by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. That ought to just stop every human being in their tracks, right? This, this is a statement. There is nothing equivocal about this statement. This is a statement, it would be like, it would be like if I stood up today and I said, my wife Lorraine created the worlds, but you would know I was crazy, right? Or, or if I said any other, you, you know, person, right? To say that some person created the worlds, that's, that, that can't be like a little right or a little wrong, right? That statement is like right off the bat, it is a marker, right off the bat. And so, um, Jesus can't be placed in any lesser category. He either did create the worlds, which makes him God and the most important being that was ever here walking this, walking this earth, or a gigantic liar. And the, and the authors of Scripture as liars. As a matter of fact, boy, I hope I got that here. Well, anyway, I don't know how I just didn't have... Maybe I, rats. Okay. Jesus is better better than prophets or angels because he is the creator. Okay, God who at various times, I gotta find my spot here. There we go. Um, Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Again, that is not a statement that might be right, might be a little right. That's either right or that is wrong. And when he says, whom he has appointed heir of all things, see, when the grand finale of all this comes, it is all going to be delivered to Jesus himself because he totally deserves it. When he was here, he sought for nothing for himself. He made himself a sacrifice. He who was at the absolute apex of all created things, the the one who sits upon the circle of the world, comes down into this world and humbles himself and becomes obedient unto death. And the, the writer of Philippians says, even the death of the cross, Right? I mean, it'd be one, like, like, like Paul in Romans, maybe for a good man, someone might dare to die. But God has shown his love for, toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the thing, right? So this, uh, this enormous step of humility, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. For this reason, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow of things on earth, things under the earth, things, and, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's where we're at, and that's, that's kind of like what is being um, established right off the bat. Through whom also he made the world. Now here's something, you're gonna like this. This is a statement by C.S. Lewis. I hope. Yeah, good. I feel so much better. All right, this is a statement by C.S. Lewis. It comes from Mere Christianity. Let me just say, if you have never read Mere Christianity, you are depriving yourself of the chunky monkey of Christian literature. 
All right, I'm telling you, that book is Chunky Monkey. It's Cherry Garcia. It is so good and, and um, so insightful, so well-written. Oh, you, you, so if you've never read, um, or you can do this. We just showed um, uh, Mere Christianity in our men's Bible study, I think the end of last summer. And you can go on YouTube, and if you put in C.S. Lewis Doodles, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis Doodles, Mere Christianity, you'll come to a, um, a site where the entire book is presented to you, and while, while a person who has a beautiful British accent, so it makes you really feel like you're, you're sitting there with C.S. yourself, right, who's re- well, uh, reading this, and there's someone who's drawing pictures the whole time and illustrating everything he's talking about. It is so incredibly good, and it's free. Right? It's free. So anyway, um, here's what C.S. Lewis, excuse me, writes in Mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow. Right, that is a shot to the back of the neck, isn't it? Right, that is about as straightforward as it can possibly be. So Jesus, again, he, he requires that we step up and bring our best. That requires, he'll take you like you are. He'll take you like you are. I have, to, I have to make sure I got that tempered. He'll take you just like you are. He loves you like you are. But once he starts working in your life, you're going to find, it, you know, it's kind of like um, one of the reasons why uh, Lorraine and my marriage has worked out. We get about 45 years into it now. But, um, well, it's because we have a strange and wonderful relationship. I'm strange and she's wonderful. <laughs> no, but it's because Christ came into our life. Now, we lived together for three years before we got saved. So we were hardly, I, was, I, ha- I wasn't born Pastor Steve. Okay, and we were just living the wildlife like everybody else in, in the 70s, and that's basically, you know, what was going on. But then Christ came into the picture, and from the time that Christ came into the picture, and, and I, I believe this is, this is the way it works wherever Christ comes into the picture, he begins to start bringing the best out of you. And then if in a relationship, if Christ is really in that relationship, two people are trying to bring the best out of each other. When people are not oriented to that kind of a center in Christ, they often just work at bringing the worst out of each other. Many relationships go down 
because people are not, they don't, they, often couples don't even see the, the potential of their spouse in Christ. Anyway, so, the, so the, I, what, what Jesus brings into our lives is, <clears throat> is the need for us to step up and be the person that he's calling us to be. <clears throat> and I'm glad I stepped up a long, long time ago. So anyway, I'm not trying to brag on that, but <clears throat> so anyway, this, this statement by C.S. Lewis is just fantastic, right? Let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He did not, he did not leave that open to us, nor did he intend to, right? So we gotta make a choice. You have to make a choice as to who is Jesus, and the book of Hebrews can be very helpful. This is not the only statement where this kind of thing is made, where it says in the book of Hebrews, um, who also made the worlds. <clears throat> Here's what Paul writes in Colossians 1, 15 through 17. I can't believe how fast the time is rolling by here. Wow. I'm probably gonna have to quit because we got communion that we gotta do. Oh, there's so much. Can we stay for a few more hours? <laughs> Would that be all right? Everyone's going to hate you for that. <laughs> I remember years ago, because we used to go on and on, our services used to go on and on sometimes, and you know, we'd sing too long, I'd preach too long, the whole thing. Am I right? Lynn is shaking her, her head over there, remembering those, those good old days, right? But, you know, I'd, somebody would do something like that, and, and you know, my wife would go like, oh, yeah. Oh, well, I want to tell tales on Lorraine. I mean, Lorraine's getting the getting the beating here this morning. Anyway, <clears throat> notice this one. <clears throat> this, here's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one. Oh, I wish I had more time to go into this this morning. This is such a rich, most, I'll, I'll, I'll briefly touch it. I'll whet your appetite and then you'll be all hungry. You won't be able to wait to get back here to have this next spiritual meal. How's that? Good idea. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express um, image, the exact representation of his person. Now, we're talking about God here, right? We're talking about Jesus being the brightness of his or God's glory and the express image, the exact representation of his God's person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had, by himself, purged our sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance a more excellent name than they. There was another thing I was looking for. Oh, let me see. No, I won't be able to get it there today. So let me just say, let me say one thing as we close and as we uh, prepare to just spend a few more minutes in, uh, in, in communion. This idea that Jesus is the image of the invisible God you know that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, and so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, uh, created he him, male and female created he, he created them, right? So we were originally created to reflect the beauty of God's image, but it got messed up by the disobedience. God, God has no disobedience. When disobedience came into the picture, the image was irreparably damaged, could not be fixed, just kind of like it's the blue screen of death for a human being. It's the corrupted files, it's things that are, are, are incapable of being fixed. The image was shot. By the time you get to chapter five in the book of Genesis, it says, and Adam brought forth children after his own image. So the image had been like crushed and wrecked, and then Adam can only 
bring forth others that, are, that still are damaged with this broken, destroyed, marred image of God that can't be fixed. And that is the story. That's what original sin essentially is. It's this damage done to us that we're born with. It's this, it, it's this natural inclination to go the wrong way, to do the wrong thing, to rebel against authority. It's, you know what I mean? To, to long to do things that are, shouldn't, shouldn't be done. It's just in us. We're, we're damaged and messed up like this, okay? But Jesus, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation. So Jesus has come to earth to show us, to be an example. He, like he says in the last night of his life, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you, you haven't known me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. He is what God cr- originally created us to be. He is what we will be when this process of spiritual growth is all done, right? Beloved, when he says in John chapter 3, for now we are the children of God, yet it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he will appear, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Oh, man, I got to go. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What a great, what a great thing to come together and just worship Jesus right, and, and appreciate, appreciate, wow, what has God done? Wow, what has God done? All right. So we're going to receive communion, and I think it, this is kind of a perfect moment to receive communion because we're just setting the table. We're setting forth Jesus Christ, and our communion is a reminder that we now have a fellowship with him. We now have a connection with him. We have a relationship with him. We belong to him. We are his. He purchased us. Oh, man, so incredible. So we're going to receive communion, the criteria for receiving communion. Do you have a living relationship with Jesus? Have you received him as your Savior? Have you received him as your Lord? You don't want to be involved in this. The Bible says if, you're, if you just do this to do this, you're just eating and drinking damnation to yourself. So don't do that. But if you, if you have Christ in your life, if you love the Lord, if your sins have been forgiven because of his death on the cross, if you're trusting him for salvation, please feel free to be invited and come and share and enjoy communion with us here this morning.